طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمه الله everyone i hope you're doing good my name is mamun hassan and i want to welcome you all to this live stream uh, with sheikh um, abdullah hakim quick uh, if you can hear me go ahead and comment on where you are joining us from please just comment with the city and uh, and the country that you're coming in from inshallah ta'ala Today, what we want to do is we want to talk about um, the last video that Sheikh Abdullah Hakim Quick has produced, which is the ten, uh, what we call the emergence, it's 10 tenets on Islamic revival. So last week, actually Wednesday specifically, we were, uh, Saturday specifically, we were talking about the first tenet, which is really, I guess, really the one that's of the most importance of them all. Today, we want to talk about the second tenet, inshallah. And as we're uh, waiting for everyone to join in, ta'ala. Uh, I want to have you tell me where you're joining us from. All right, so Brother Ibrahim from Atlanta, mashallah. I hope you're doing good, Brother Ibrahim. I hope Atlanta is just as warm as uh, as Toronto, or actually not as not as cold as Toronto. Um, we have uh, Tanisha from St. Louis, mashallah, Allahu Akbar. Amina bint Yusuf. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Virginia, Alexandria, Mumin, salam alaikum, how are you? I hope you're good. Pittsburgh, mashallah. You got people coming in from all over the place. Even Singapore, Allahu Akbar, mashallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect you all, inshallah. May Allah azza wa jal give you all jannah. Uh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us the same way He has gathered us here today. That he would gather us in Jannah, inshallah, and gather us better than here. Now we're, we're gathering virtually, but in Jannah, ta'ala, we'll be uh, physically together, inshallah. Ta'ala. Um, so let me go ahead and bring in our guest, uh, Sheikh Abdullah Hakim, quick today, inshallah, so we can see how uh, things have been. Ta'ala. Oh, and Sheikh Mustafa Khattab is joining us from uh, Toronto. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Yes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sheikh Abdullah. How are you? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Okay. I hope you're doing well, inshallah. Oh, yes, I'm doing fine. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, the pandemic has made, um, like, I guess, really separated us so much, right? Like, we don't see each other physically. But at the same time, it's been kind of a blessing. Like, I mean, I'm seeing you more live on, on Facebook now. I'm seeing a lot more of your content coming out uh, via uh, video technology and so on and so forth. Can you want to share your, some of your thoughts with us? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's always important for us to look at the good and the evil within things. And sometimes, you know, situations that appear to be evil are actually good. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows why this is happening. This is a test to the world. And if we look at it in a positive way, then we can see that, yes, there are so many positive things coming. I was just listening to a report about pollution. You know, mm. and, oh, the air is cleaner. The animals are rejoicing. The fish are jumping up and down in the sea because mm -hmm. it's that pollution from human beings. So you know, yeah. we have to, you know, always look at the good. You know, that's yeah, it. yeah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala bless you, Inshallah. All right, let's talk about today's uh, topic, Bismillah Taala. The emergence. This uh, uh, this video that you've released uh, recently, just a couple of weeks ago, and in it you talk about ten tenets, Sheikh Abdullah that are that you see as a sense i mean you you always make sure that you say that this is your opinion this is not this is not like the, the five pillars as you would say but uh, ten tenants that you have uh 
accumulated over the years of serving all over the world. You've been around in all seven of these uh, uh, seven continents, and you've been around them all over the place. Uh, remind us a little bit, Sheikh, about what um, this whole idea of emergence is. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. The idea of the emergence is a type of awakening. It's an Islamic revival. And in looking at the history uh, of Islam and the condition of Muslims over the ages, we recognize that we have been struck with a number of calamities. We have been struck with pandemic. We have been attacked by uh, external uh, forces over the hundreds of years. And also on the inside, we have had uh, trials and tribulations. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with tajdeed. Allah has blessed us with revival. Mm -hmm. Every generation, there would be revivers who would come, and that Islam would, and Muslims would not go the route of the Roman Empire or the ancient Egyptian Empire, where you just see columns and pyramids, and but the people from those times are actually gone. No. It would be revived. The principles would be revived in new times and under different conditions. Mm -hmm. This is the issue of emergence. Yeah, we're talking about an Islamic revival coming right now at the end of the of 2020, going into 2021. Mm -hmm. How can we emerge, you know, out of the homes that we are locked in? How can we emerge out of the stagnation that has hit many of the Muslim communities and many nations throughout the world? So these ten tenets are actually um, not uh, the pillars of Iman. It's not. Cut in stone, but it is only really you know, the, the idea of sharing. It's important mm -hmm. for us to talk heart to heart and, and to learn how to share uh, our experiences with each other. And mm -hmm. I had willed that over the past uh, 40 years in the field, um, I've been able to travel to 63 countries and to live with Muslims and to share their problems uh, and to reflect upon the Quran and the Sunnah relative to what they were going through. And mm -hmm. there are certain threads which would connect the believers all over the planet. And, and yeah. these are the 10 tenets, uh, really, which is more practically, it was a first set for the Western world, uh, meaning Europe, the Americas, South Africa, even Australia and New Zealand, countries like this. But now, because the world is a global village, uh, many of these issues actually relate to Muslims in the actual Muslim world itself. So these are 10 practical points. How can we emerge? What can we do? Because people are asking the questions. Okay, we know there's a problem. What can we do? What practical steps can we take? How can we change our world view to meet the conditions that we are living in? Alicia, these are obviously points that you yourself have uh, pointed out to that these are points that are upon individual people. They're not. You're not telling us that like this is something for the uh, for the imma, for the ummah to do as a whole. So you're talking about this. You're speaking to every single person. Follow these ten points as a whole. We would get up as an actual nation. Yes, th this is the basis. The basis is the individual, the family, the community, and if Allah wills, you know, then it spreads, you know, to the societies themselves. That's another level. I, I personally feel that the individual level, the internal level, is the most important area for us today. 
That's the insight. As Allah said in Surah Al-Rahi, will not change the conditions of the people, so they change that which is in them. Very good, Sheikh. Uh, last week, Alhamdulillah, we were able to speak about the first pillar, and that, and you pointed out the fact that that first, not pillar, sorry, that first tenant, which is the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We had a lengthy discussion, actually. If, uh, any of you guys who are following us want to go back to that, inshallah. And one of the points that you've made was about the fact that it's not easy for us to translate the word taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and it is difficult, and therefore you spent quite some time in trying to determine to people, this is how we actually see it as a person. Do you want to go through that real quickly, inshallah, just very quickly, though, because we want to move on to the next one. Ah, yes, uh, the, the, the area of ziyadah to taqwa, that, that we need an increase in the consciousness of Allah. It is a central point, it's probably the overriding point that affects everything that, that we are doing, and that is our relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. And in the concept of taqwa, you know, the translations, many times people say fear. Um, some will relate to fear and hope. But there's some interesting um, translations and understandings that come out of the text. For instance, taqwa can refer to mindfulness. It can refer to being alert, being cautious, especially being cautious to stay out of sin. So it's that consciousness that develops. And that really is how we translate it, the consciousness of Allah. It's that consciousness which gives us the alertness and the awareness that we stay out of wrong and, and we come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything that we do. So, so this, this is sort of like um, what we are talking about. And that consciousness is, is really crucial today in the new circumstances that we find ourselves in. In America, when I was growing up, uh, we had a saying, and it's interesting how relevant it is. The saying was, always let your conscience be your guide. So what is your conscience? Right? That's something coming from within, which really is connected to the taqwa. Okay, wonderful. Barakallahu uh, That's a, a wonderful uh, explanation and a wonderful insight to the word itself. Now let's talk about the second tenet. Um, now the second tenet in the video itself, you actually refer to when you say authentic, sticking to authentic sources. Right. Now, I, I've been uh, with you for quite some time, alhamdulillah, so I kind of understand what you're, what you're trying to say here. But I want you, Shaykh, to break it down a little bit to the people. Why would, first of all, what is, uh, when you say authentic sources, what do you actually mean? Well, you know, um, this issue of authentic sources, um, it, it's important to understand, you know, why, how I came about this before we go into the actual meaning. And that is traveling in Muslim countries, uh, in the Arab world, and in Asia, and the Americas, and Africa, and being with Muslims. I realized that there are a lot of folk traditions, there are a lot of cultural practices that are impacting uh, are Muslims, and sometimes actually informs them uh, of their Islam. And what I found is that it's overwhelming. I mean, I would literally fly. Uh, one time I flew um, to Mali, and I was living with people in Timbuktu uh, in that area, one of the physically poorest areas in the world, but the people are spiritually rich. Then I flew from, from Mali to the Emirates, and it's like an extreme, you know, two extremes you're going to, and, you know, and you see that physically there are many differences 
you know, amongst the people. And I, and I tried to um, understand how this could actually change. By the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after graduating from Medina and then serving time uh, in Dawa in America and then four years in the Caribbean in Jamaica, uh, I returned to Toronto and found that the Jami Mosque, which was one of the main places in Toronto, there were two places in 1985 where you could worship. The Jami Mosque had become a hub for Islam for the whole of the country. There were people pouring into Toronto. Toronto has about 50% of the population of Canada. So there were people pouring into the country and literally the Jami Mosque was filled with people from so many different places. And, and this had been a problem for many of the Imams. Uh, four Imams preceded me, many of them left under hectic circumstances. And I came back to do Dawah, but they asked me to be the leader of this Jami Mosque. So I found over a thousand people at Juma, all ethnicities, different language groups, all Islamic movements. There were also the schools of thought. There were Maliki people from North Africa, West Africa, Shafi'is from Somalia and from Indonesia. There were Hanbalis from Arabia. There were Hanafis from Turkey and from uh, an Indo-Pakistani subcontinent. Everybody's together in the same masjid. There are different Islamic movements, some of them that fo focus on tabligh, spreading the message. Some focus on spirituality. Some focus on education. Some are struggling against oppression. And we're all housed in a building. So this, in a sense, is like a microcosm of the Muslim world. So I was literally um, at the head of this microcosm of the Muslim world. And in trying to deal with the issues, I could not come with any particular movement to say that the sheikh of this movement said this, or that the school of thought said that. And so when it came time to pray, the only way we could really solve it was to go back to the original sources from the Quran and the Sunnah. For instance, in prayer, you have Hanafis, you have Malikis, you have Shafis. People are going through changes because they never saw a Maliki praying, moving his finger. Like they never saw that. Some of them think there's, like there's something wrong with his hand or something. Um, you know, many people never heard somebody, you know, when the Imam said, well, a Darlene, they don't say Amin out loud. So this was a crisis for some people. And so we reverted to the source where the Prophet ﷺ said, Sallu kamara'aitamuni usalli. Pray as you have seen me pray. So we learned that there were different ways that the Prophet ﷺ made the Salat, and we understood that as Islam spread and the teachers of Islam went to different parts of the Muslim world, they taught what they knew. And so the schools of thought that developed was not different religions. It was not like Protestant and Catholic, but it was teachers who were giving from the Sunnah uh, to the people in the best that they knew. And these later on became the madhahib, the different schools of thought you know, that we know. And somehow people even went to the extreme of relating to these madhabs or these schools of thought, almost like their national identity. So the way to get around it, when I was dealing with an issue, that I would bring, what did Allah say? What did the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say? 
How did the Sahaba look at this? How did the great scholars around the world look at it? And I would quote from all the different scholars at different points in time. And people in the Jama'ah, again, it was almost a thousand people at Jummah. This is back in 1987 by the time it reached that. They were comfortable with this. They were comfortable of the fact that they weren't being left out because all of the Ahlul Sunnah wa Jama'ah relate to the Quran and the Sunnah and the companions as their basis. There's no problem. So therefore, I recognized that um, this really um, is, is a methodology. It, it, it's an important methodology to, to, to rise, to emerge as a jama'ah, to come back as a solid body and not different sections who are coming up in different areas. And this, Sheikh, sorry, and this is sorry for interrupting you, but this is not a new idea. Like even the four imams that we're talking about, this is exactly what they actually preach they themselves. This is something that we have so many sayings from Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, and so on and so forth that every single, you know, what we are really looking for is honestly the actual authentic mm -hmm. sayings and deeds of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that bring, that, bring, that bring us together really in this. Yeah, I, I think that what, you know, what was unique about what happened to me and now is happening to Muslims because of this mass communications is that the cultures are sort of brought together. Like in the past, if you travel to Africa, uh, you'd live within North Africa, West Africa, East Africa. You know, you, you would live in an African environment and Islam is practiced there. If you travel to Malaysia, you would be in the Malay world and Islam is practiced there. If you went to Turkestan, then you'd be with Turks. If you're in the Arab world, you're with Arabs. Now, everybody's together in the same building. You see, this is something unique. And even in the past, when we had a Khalifa, the Khalifa still ruled from one area, but his connection, for instance, if the Khalifa was in Baghdad, his connection with, with Muslims in China uh, took a long time for, for information to be communicated from one end to another, even at the fall you know, of our uh, Khilafat uh, in the 20th century with the Ottomans, there was forms of communication, but it's nothing like today. It's nothing like the virtual digital communication that we had today. And so I realized that the essence of the problem in many cases was Islam versus culture. That everybody has a culture. You have a way of approaching things. People in Malaysia... In, in warm climates, approach their lifestyle in a certain way. Mountain people in a certain way. Desert people in a certain way. Language affects culture. Your folk traditions as part of your culture. And so the challenge that we had is that many people, unless they were scholars of Islam, they actually took their religion more from their culture than they did from the, from the actual sources. And because they, they never knew anything else, they thought that this is... Um, that's they thought, what they thought their culture was the actual original religion. Right, and they didn't know that there was anything else. I mean, I was praying one time, and at that time, you know, I was praying, you know, uh, you know with my finger, at, you know, you're following you know, the Maliki way, and, and my finger was, was wiggling, you know, and um, this young boy was sitting next to me, uh, probably a Hanafi, and he couldn't control himself, and he grabbed my finger. You know, while I was praying, I had to sort of like hold myself back, you know, from laughing or getting angry. 
And after the Salah, I said to the boy, you know, Allah Yahdik, you know, uh, this is a school of thought. The Prophet used to pray like this. And he was surprised. Yeah. So the culture of people. And I especially, I, I would see this culture come out, uh, especially in marriage. So when time to get married, there are certain ways that people get married in different parts of the world. But then again, there's the sources of Islam. Now, you, you got to sort of marry the two. I'll give you an example. You know, in, in, in some parts of Indo-Pakistani subcontinent, um, when, you know, the girl is getting married, you know, and then, you know, she gives permission to her wali, and the wali performs the marriage. And I was performing the marriage, but within their culture, the, the young lady is supposed to be very sad. She's supposed to be crying. I don't know if this is something based from Hinduism or what it is, but she has to be crying. Otherwise, you know, she doesn't look good. So here I am, you know, as the imam, I go into the woman's section, you know, to ask her, you know, do you give permission for your wali to give you away in the marriage? She's crying. And, you know, according to the authentic sources, you know, you're assuming something is wrong. That means that she doesn't agree. It's, it's over. So I turned to the brothers and I said, okay, wait a minute. She's crying. They said, it's culture. So I understood from that, still explained to the girl what is the source, accepting her tears. She understood that. She had to play the role, and she gave her permission, and then we carried on. So I realized that this issue of culture, um, it is important, and 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 Orf, Orf is you know even recognized. The customs is recognized, you know, by the Fokaha when they are making fetwas. You know, the customs of the people, you know, does have an influence, you know, over religious decisions that are made uh, uh, to people in different parts of the world. The point is, and I'd explain it to people, that your Islam is like a filter. And, you know, you have a glass and you pour milk through the filter and the filter takes out the impurities, but it's still milk. So it's your culture, but Islam takes out the impurities of bid'ah innovation and shirk and other wrong practices. And so this is what people had, you know, came together to understand in terms of Islam versus culture. There's nothing wrong with your culture, but we have to recognize there are certain principles and we have to go back to our sources and authentic sources. We need to go back in order to uh, uh, be able to practice our Islam in this new environment. Would you make the argument, Sheikh, that uh, the fact that we are actually now well connected and the fact that we live in, in worlds where, um, where you know, there's so many different mixes of schools of thoughts uh, and fiqhi madhabs that we're better Muslims, like we have a better understanding of our religion as, 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 as a whole, in a sense? In a sense, we do, because, you know, we, we, we can appreciate more of the masses of the people can appreciate uh, different schools of thought, whereas in the past, it, it would be the ulama. It would be people who are studying fiqh, you know, who knew the, the, the differences, ikhtilaf al-fuqaha. And uh, I was traveling in Spain, you know, with a group of Muslims from around the world. And, you know, before we came into a masjid, I gathered them together and I said, this is the madhab of Imam Malik. And so when he prays, he's going to make salam over the right shoulder. He'll say, assalamu alaikum. And he's going to stop. He's not going to go to the left. So don't think that your salat is incomplete 
and you have to put, you know, you have to do it over again because that's the Maliki way. And even if you look at the other schools of thought, that first taslim on the right shoulder, that is the one that's compulsory. That's the original one, yeah. The second one is sunnah. And so masses of people understanding that is, is actually a growth in terms of fiqh. You know, that that was was the, you know, only the, you know, that the scholars would know uh, in the past. So when we are looking at these authentic sources, in a sense, and, and, and I leave this with the brothers and sisters, you know, in, as a way to apply this. If you look at the Hadith of Jibreel, and, and that is where the, the, the angel Jibreel, alayhi salam, asked the Prophet, وسلم, in the famous Hadith, what is Islam? What is Iman? What is Ihsan? And this is a well-known tradition. And the Prophet وسلم, asked about, you know, answered Islam with the pillars of Islam, Iman with the pillars of Iman, and Ihsan, that, that, that you worship Allah as though you see him or although he sees you. And, and so, you know, there's three levels in a sense, um, you know, in our deen. And so in dealing with our Islam, with our, our practices, our fasting and with, you know, our prayer and, and, and the basic uh, pillars of, of our deen, we need to be able to go back to authentic sources. If there is something culturally that I'm doing, which is not part of the sunnah, then I have to recognize that's my culture. And there's nothing wrong with leaving your culture, you know, and following Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. For some people, that, that was difficult, and it is difficult because it's something you sort of get used to. But it is crucial um, to be, you know, to go back to the sources and to be able to appreciate other people. In terms of iman, and that is where our belief system comes in, our aqidah is coming in. In that area, we need to again go back to the authentic sources and, and see what was the belief of the early companions. What was the belief of the Prophet Because when Islam spread to different parts of the world, it was Muslims were influenced by Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Christianity, whatever was the religion of the people where it spread, that affected their Islam. And, and now we have to be able to filter out the, these cultural practices, which in many cases, this is what this is where bid'ah comes from, innovations in most cases. I found this out on the ground. It's usually cultural practices that people are doing, thinking that it's Islam. Okay? So we need to be able to root out those practices in our belief systems. And finally, in the area of Ihsan, that some people call tasawwuf, that we have to be able to root out in our spirituality, you know, those practices that are more Hinduism or Buddhism or, or, or magic or other types of practices that entered into the Islamic world. And there have been many uh, great ulama, Imam al-Ghazali, Rahimullah, was one of the, you know, scholars, uh, Sidi Ahmed Zarouk, you know, of, of Morocco, Sheikh Uthman Denfodio, you know, of Nigeria. There were scholars, you know, who combined fiqh and tasawwuf. In other words, they had spirituality. It was not necessarily, you know, a special tariqa group, you know, like you have a special group opposing others. No, it was just how do you get the spirit, the ihsan, which is a natural part of our deen. But what, but what the challenge the ulama had is that to make sure that spirituality stays within sharia that it doesn't leave the borders set up by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. 
and and we try to be authentic. This is what I mean by by going back to the to the to the authentic uh, you know sources when we are dealing with our three levels uh, of faith and, and our three three levels of Islam. Wonderful, Sheikh. May Allah subhanahu wa taala bless you. I have a quick question for you. Actually, I think it's really important to ask. Uh, so you've talked about dealing with people of all ages and all kinds of. Like, I want to know, like, when it comes to the culture or letting go of the culture, who are easier to deal with in teaching about this authentic so, uh, sources? Is, is, are are younger people um, more prone to change or, or elder? Like, I I don't know if you could just comment on that real quick. I mean, generally speaking, I would say that younger people are more prone to change. Mm. That is because with, with age and time, people get into habits. And so if you're habitually praying in a certain way, or, or if you have an outlook on the world in a certain way for 40 years, then it's, it's more difficult to change. Yeah. Whereas, whereas young people, especially those who are living in melting pots, as, as we say, like Toronto or New York or London, or Paris, or even now parts of the Muslim world because of this international communications. You know, when young people are, you know, experiencing other different cultures, then it's easier for them to break out of the cultural chains, you know, and to take the best out of everything. You know, when I was living in Medina, just to give you an interesting example, you know, I lived in Medina, you know, for many years. And uh, this is back in the 70s, right? So, so there was no big buildings and tar roads and things. And the hujaj, the pilgrims would come literally. We would house the hujaj in our homes because there was not enough buildings for them. And I used to go amongst the hajis and, you know, I, I could distinguish between people, Bengali, Pakistani, Sudani, Egyptian, North African, Indonesian. You know, and many times people wore their clothing like a uniform. It's like a police uniform or you know, a fireman, because you got to have a certain cap with a certain type of tobe or jalabia mm. or whatever it was. Then somebody would come walking along. He would have a Nigerian hat, a Moroccan top, Pakistani pants, and Sudani shoes. You would notice that. Uh, and, and then they would say, that's an American. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be. It's yeah. not one of us, right? Yeah. In other words, that's a new Muslim. Mm. But that's, but that's a beautiful example, Sheikh, because this is a person who's actually taking the best of what fits out of all of these places, right? Into something that, that what fits him and that what fits his liking. I think that's a beautiful thing. Like, that's a really beautiful example. And actually, more people should be at ease with being able to do that. You know, I like I like the Saudi thobe. I like the, the Sudanese emma. I like, like everything just fits a certain way on me. And I and and if I'm a Muslim, you know what I mean? Um then I should be able to do that. I should be able to kind of freely do that. That's right. You know, and, and, and this really is the spirit uh, of the early generations. And, 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 and this, I believe, is, you know, a, lot, a part of the spirit uh, that, that enabled Muslims to spread Islam so far because they were flexible with cultures. They would meet people in the different cultures and they would um, intermingle with them and then show them the way. And sometimes they would intermarry uh, and, and, and their family would actually take on certain cultural practices of the people, but they would teach them Islam so they could filter out the wrong cultural traditions. And, and that is the spirit that we need today. And, and, and that's part of the emergence. And that's point number two, to return to these authentic sources in all levels of our faith. 
Shaykh Abdullah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and give you Jannah. This has been a really beautiful and insightful talk. Uh, I do know that we're scheduled uh, again this Saturday, I believe, right. to talk about the point number three, inshallah ta'ala. Um, for those of you who have just uh, joined us and those of you who are following us, go ahead and follow Sheikh Abdullah Hakim Quick on his uh, Instagram page as Abdullah.Quick. And also you can follow my Instagram page as also at uh, this underscore moon underscore lives. And you'll see them on the bottom of our screen here, inshallah. Uh, go ahead and send us some questions if you want us to ask the Sheikh. If you want to ask the Sheikh directly, you can go ahead and do that um, on those two handles, bidillahi ta'ala. And uh, I don't know, Sheikh, if you want to end, inshallah, with any comment, bidillahi ta'ala, before we go. Yes, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would uh, enable us in this new solar year, because we're leaving December 2020 and going into January. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would lift this bala, this, this pain and suffering and this waba, this this pandemic, you know, from the world and from our lives, and and may Allah accept the shuhada, the martyrs that have died, you know, during this COVID nineteen, and in the wars and in the economic recession, may Allah help us and unite us together, uh, as one ummah, and clear our hearts of any negative feeling against each other. Subhanakallahu bihamdika, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka wa natubu alaik, wa akhra da'wana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you, Shaykh, inshallah. We will see you another time. For all of you who have joined us, jazakum Allah khair. Uh, make sure you follow us, inshallah, for the next uh, upcoming bi'idni lahi ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.